You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. In the winter of 1997, I found myself in a small northern cabin in a youth camp in northern Ontario. I was speaking at a small youth retreat and I had some time. So I was in what was known as the library cabin. And there was a bookshelf filled with some books, but mostly eight-track tapes. And the books that were there were largely Hal Lindsey books. As I was summoned across the shelf, though, a specific book caught my attention. It was bright orange with neon green lettering. It was called God is for Real Man. Now, I quickly pulled it off the shelf, opened it up, read two pages, and knew I needed to have this book. The last time it had been signed out, according to the card in the back, was 1973 by Twiggy from Cabin 4. So I thought, you know, maybe I can replace this book with a Canadian Tire Catalog and a copy of The Prayer of Jabez. I wasn't going to miss those. I think God's forgiven me. But this book... This book was written in 1969 by Carl F. Burke. He was a chaplain who was working in the Bronx, especially among the incarcerated and the beatnik population. I didn't know what a beatnik was, but it's a social movement of the 50s and 60s, a very expressive artistic culture that didn't fit into societal norms. And like most subcultures, they had a unique way of speaking. But Carl Burke wanted to translate the Bible in beatnik so that these individuals could understand the powerfully inspiring, life-changing message of Jesus. And so he had the beatniks help him, and he ended up writing three books, which are basically a paraphrase of Bible stories. The first one was called Treat Me Cool, Lord. God is for Real Man was the second, and then God is Beautiful Man. The introduction of these books states that these passages are interpretations of Scripture as told by some of God's bad-tempered angels with busted halos. Let me read a portion. This is a selection of, of stories from Matthew chapter 9. Carl writes, Every place that Jesus went, he did some real groovy things, like fixing up busted bones or getting sick people better. Every time he did it, some people said, Real cool, man. Some others figured it was a fake and that Jesus was a phony, and he sure scared the hell out of some too. Sometimes he touched them, sometimes he yelled at them, sometimes he prayed like the reverend at church. Sometimes he just told them to get with it and believe in God. But most of the time he was good to them, and he cared a lot about them. One time a gang of people came to see Jesus, the place was full up. Even the doors was full. While Jesus was talking real cool-like, some other guys brought in a sick guy on a bed. The sick guy was so jammed up he couldn't walk or anything. His friends couldn't get him in the door, so they chopped a hole in the roof, tied some rope to it, and they let it down to Jesus very easy-like. And Jesus says, well, how's about that? These guys sure get lots of faith. Guess I'll help them out, man. And so Jesus says, okay, baby, your sins is all forgot about. But the sick guy don't get with it. And some of the wheels in the crowd gets the idea that it just ain't right for Jesus to say that. And so everybody's all mixed up, mostly the sick guy. And so Jesus figured, guess I better really prove this to him. So he says to the sick guy, stand up, man. And he did. And Jesus says, walk, man. And he did. And Jesus says, hit the road, man, and take your bed. And he did. The sick guy ain't sick no more, and he was real happy. And so he's saying all kinds of groovy things about Jesus. And he's saying thanks to God because he can walk now. And the people who saw this was all shook up about it. Some says, man, ain't that great. Some says, 
that's real cool. Like, but anyway, now they get the idea who Jesus is. Jesus was a real cool cat. Wow. You would have taken the book too, wouldn't you? Carl just didn't want this group of beatniks to miss out on the incredible message of Jesus. It's amazing when communities of people who are ostracized by their larger culture create a new one. Whether we're talking about beatnik or the incarcerated or people who are stereotyped by their skin color, their ethnicity, their religion, or their sexuality. Safety is often found together, but so is community. And some of those communities might not be the healthiest, but they often do a better job at being blind to indifference. Sometimes they can be more welcoming because they focus on what brings them together, not what should drive them apart. And if we actually think about it, it might be surprising to consider how many subcultures you're a part of, I'm a part of. How many diverse social clusters do I associate with because of faith or music, food or sport or work? There are different clusters for communities in our lives. Most of ours are by choice, but for many, they're out of necessity. I want us to take a peek at an encounter Jesus has with a small subculture. There are some surprising things that I think we can observe here that have huge relevance for our lives today. This encounter is recorded by Luke in chapter 17 in only a couple of verses. And Luke wants us to remember it this way. In the course of his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus crossed the boundary between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was approaching a village, ten lepers met him. They kept their distance but shouted, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it happened that as they went on their way, they were cured. One of their number, when he saw that he was cured, turned around and praised God at the top of his voice. And then he fell on his face before Jesus and he thanked him. This man was a Samaritan. And at this, Jesus remarked, Weren't there ten men healed? Where are the other nine? Is nobody going to turn and praise God for what he has done except this foreigner? And then he said to the man, stand up now and go on your way. It is your faith that has made you well. Now, this is an interesting story to include when there could have been so many encounters to choose from. Luke felt that there is something here that needs to be not only recorded, but repeated. This is a story about a group of people who come together out of need the need for companionship, the need for community. Leprous communities like this were required to keep a safe distance from the clean population. And so they would hang out at the entrance of villages in the hopes of mercy, of alms, and generosity. Now, there's no indication that this is a colony all afflicted with the same physical skin condition. In fact, the word leprosy here literally means skin condition, not necessarily leprosy. But what is clear is that they are all afflicted with the same social condition. They're outsiders. They're ostracized. This specific village that Luke writes about in in chapter 17 is on the border between Samaria and Galilee. And in some ways, it isn't surprising to find a Samaritan among the infected, among the inflicted. Even though traditionally, Jewish people don't associate with those they consider to be unclean or heretics, It paints a beautiful picture here of how adversity can cause us to look past our differences and find solidarity in what we have in common. The real animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritan population was real. 
Perhaps we can think of it like the Catholic-Protestant tensions in Northern Ireland, or the feelings between many in the Jewish community and the Islamic community in the Middle East. Regardless, there are some religious, some ethnic tensions here that appear in this story, and it's intentional. We're meant to pick up on this. We're meant to notice this. And what's interesting here is that this colony of 10 hanging out by the city gates, one of them is a foreigner who is revealed to be this Samaritan. I find it amazing how cocky we can get when life is good. But give us a little adversity, give us a little pain, a little discomfort, and sometimes it can actually turn us into decent people. In this moment, the nine Jewish afflicted don't mind the Samaritan being with them. Both cultures taught that a skin disease like leprosy kept you unclean, and they were all required to live as outsiders. They weren't allowed to make physical contact with insiders, with healthy people, and they created these six societies outside of the cities where they would beg. So these poor lepers living a disenfranchised life, one of them has two strokes against them. But at least in this village, it's amazing when communities of people who are ostracized by their larger culture can in some ways create a better one, if only because it seems to be blind to indifference. It's interesting that the language these beggars use to call out to Jesus in this story. They use the word master, and it makes you wonder if they already knew about Jesus and his reputation. This title is only used seven times in the entire New Testament. It's a term of respect, and it makes me wonder if perhaps some of these individuals may have at one time found themselves in the wider circle of Christ's followers. Perhaps they were part of the 5,000 who were fed a spontaneous lunch. Or perhaps they sat on the side of that hill while Jesus shared his famous Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if any of them became sick and were ostracized by their former communities of faith and family after those experiences. It's amazing when your life circumstances change. Often your friendships do too. Some just don't know how to handle what they themselves haven't experienced. Others just stay away out of fear. It wouldn't surprise me that if this was the case. I believe that before these individuals were sick, they were whole. Before they were outcasts, they were loved. Imagine if we did that math with everyone we met, especially the difficult people. Now, I know what it's like to be pushed out of a community. I've experienced that. I've been one who was led to the door as a spiritual leper, the casualty of religious infighting of others, being afraid of my different ideas. A lot of people who stopped going to church did so not because of Jesus, but because of his apparent self-proclaimed bodyguards that led them to the door. Luke writes in this story that Jesus saw them. Now, you see, most didn't see them. They were invisible. Jesus saw what most don't see. The same word could be translated perceived. He perceived them. He saw them. Now, I might be trivializing something here, but I think there's a case for it. It doesn't say that Jesus looked at them, but instead he saw them. Christ saw and heard and felt lots of things that others didn't. He saw Zacchaeus in a tree. He saw a man by a pool. He heard a beggar by the road. He felt a woman who touched his cloak. Jesus was sensitive to this kind of thing. In this culture, like in ours, there are obvious things that aren't so obvious. We choose to become numb to what we don't want to see, whether annoying people at work or on our streets and our families, not just in our downtown or the panhandler on the boulevard. 
Now, what Luke records next is really intriguing. Jesus tells the ten to go show themselves to the priest. This was the protocol in this culture so that they could be deemed clean and enter functional society again. Now, I count it as part of desperation of these ten that they would just do what Jesus says, even though it seems irrational. Where's the smoke show? Where's the hocus pocus? It's just, hey guys, I see you. Now go, show yourself to the priests. And on their way, they do. And on their way, they're cleansed. It's amazing how many times Jesus does this. It's so peculiar. I often wonder how much of our healing of whatever it is that is sick with us requires action on our part. How much of our healings are en route to something else? I personally recognize the healing that happens when we move away from what represents our old sick ways and move towards what can restore us. 20 years ago, I once quit a job without the security of another because it was killing me. The miracle happened on my way out. I felt the release and freedom I could never find in my former job. And I find it interesting that the word in the Greek translated as cleansed is the word katharizo. It means to cleanse, to purge, to purify. It's where we get the word catharsis from the same root. The act itself is part of the experience. And Jesus does this so many times. Go show yourself to the priests, he says. The act of going is cathartic, healthy, healing, freeing. Isn't that what Jesus seems to offer all those who kind of walk away from an experience with him? A fresh new way of seeing and holding everything? Arthur Kleinham A Harvard psychiatrist and anthropologist writes about the difference between illness and disease, and I find his ideas remarkable in considering this encounter with Jesus. He proposes that disease relates to the body, and it's malfunctioning biologically, psychologically, the the processes involved. While illness refers to the psychosocial experience and meaning of perceived disease. Illness is the shaping of disease into behavior and experience, created by personal, social, and cultural reactions to disease. So these lepers who meet Jesus had both a disease, skin condition, and an illness, the personal and social stigma of uncleanliness, isolation, and rejection. And as long as there was disease, the illness would get worse. But if the disease went, the illness went with it. What, however, if the disease could not be cured, but the illness could somehow be healed? Consider that as we look at our own cultural, social colonies. I'm just going to leave that there. We also see in this account an interesting dilemma as these men head head towards the priest. After what brought them together was gone, there was now division. The Samaritan would no longer be welcome among them. We aren't told what led to the return of this foreigner to thank Jesus, but was there an argument? Did the Samaritan just conclude that he can't show himself to a Jewish priest? The old ways just won't work for him? Regardless of his reasons, he returns to Jesus, falls at his feet, and thanks him. And Jesus is amazed that of all the ten, it's the Samaritan who returns. I thought you were a community, sick together, healed together. What's interesting is they weren't instructed to return and give thanks. It is that Luke is helping emphasize the contrast again in his narrative. Once again, this turns what stereotypes we have on their heads. Jesus tells the man to get up and that his faith has made him well.
or whole. There's buried in these words this idea that the man's response to his newfound life has made him well. All ten were healed, but only one was made well. There are a lot of people who seem to be healed, but very few who seem to be well, to be whole. I can't help but see something in the Samaritan's life that is missing in so many lives of people who call Jesus Master as well. I think the missing ingredient is a grateful posture. And I'm challenged by this passage, if I'm honest. I find its implications in my life kind of troubling. How many of the, uh, of the most socially sick are also possibly the most spiritually well? Is it possible? We too have our social lepers, and we've, we herd them into categories and deny them rights of our entitled communities. Some of us know this too well. Our religious communities, our social secular communities, they do it too. We hold back privilege and benefit and all the good things that only belong to the chosen, to the healthy, to the deserving, the hardworking. But what if the state you find yourself in wasn't a choice? Suddenly your perfect idealistic paradigms get muddy. Jesus went straight there and wasn't afraid to meddle with the paradigms for the sake of those who needed it. Is it possible that anyone who has been marginalized is more sensitive to grace when they experience it? Jesus thought so. When defending the woman who was washing his feet with her tears in the house of that prominent Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, and and people began to criticize it, Jesus tells this quick story. He says, hey, two people owed money to a lender. One, the debt was small, the other large. Neither had the money to pay it back. So the lender forgave both debts. Which one will love him more? You see, this outcast who is considered unclean, who encounters Jesus at the city gates, who amazes me, those who seek to find Jesus to thank him for all of life's small blessings, while they may look physically well, may bear the burden of social ill. Like this Samaritan, Jesus didn't heal him of his religion. Did you notice that? No. Instead, he sets him free from a lie he's been told, that he can't be whole, that he's not like the rest. Jesus seems to show that perhaps he has the advantage over the rest. Who is it that will hear God and say, rise and go, your faith has made you well? Those who keep coming back to him, like this one of ten. He heard that beautiful proclamation that changed everything for him. Some are healed, yes, but some are changed. And in the end, I've discovered that healed people don't change the world. Changed people do. Changed people do.